0: Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of December 12th, 2021, with Pastor Brett Cottrell. Amen. I'm glad you were here this morning as we continue to look forward to the celebration of Christ's birth on Christmas Day here in just a couple of weeks. In fact, two weeks from now, on the 26th. And by the way, in case you were wondering, uh, you know, Christmas Day is a Saturday. We will have a Christmas Eve service right here, Friday night, 5 o'clock. And, yes, we will have worship services the morning of the 26th. So I invite you to come and we'll, be, we'll celebrate, continue to celebrate all that God has done and we will have a good time with one another as family that Sunday morning the 26th. We will just do the worship service that morning. That will be all that we do. But I want to invite you to be part of that. So Friday night, two weeks, Friday night Christmas Eve service, you guys have a great time celebrating Christmas Day, and then we'll gather together as God's people on Sunday morning, the 26th. So this morning, we are going to be looking in the book of Genesis. We're going to be looking over several chapters. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a series of the miraculous births of the Old Testament to see what it is they had to tell us and show us about the coming birth of Christ in the, Old, in the New Testament. We know that the Old Testament gives us a lot of prophecies, a lot of direct predictions about who Messiah is going to be, what he was going to do, and all those things. But there is also, in the Old Testament, what we call types. That is, uh, men and women whose lives are pictures of what Christ is going to do and whose elements of their life give us insight and ways to recognize Christ, Messiah, when he appears. And one of the ways that happens is in the Old Testament, there are a series Of miraculous births that give us a hint, an indication of what Christ's birth will look like. Two weeks ago, we looked at the birth of Samson and we saw that miraculous birth his mother unable to have kids, visited by an angel from the Lord, and told that she would give birth to a son who would be a deliverer for his people, Israel, from the Philistines. And we looked at how that gives us a picture of Christ. Uh, who Christ will be as our deliverer last week we looked at the birth of samuel again a woman who was unable to bear children and this time hannah was unable to bear children because god had closed her womb and the resulting the, the result was that hannah in an act of faith and a desperate prayer goes before the lord and says if you'll give me a son i'll give him back to you in an act of great love and great faith and great sacrifice and samuel that one then at that point served the Lord throughout his, the course of his days, the course of his life, even as a young boy, would be used of God to not only speak uh, the, the words of the Lord to his people, but also would be used to ultimately anoint David as king. Yes, the David who would one day be the ancestor and who's, from whose line you would see the Messiah born. In the in the act of desperation prayer, that young lady, the ancestor of prayer were led to the coming of Messiah. So we saw that last week. This morning we're going to look at the birth of Isaac. Now this takes place really over a course of several chapters, and we're going to be looking at several of those things. But as we look at his birth, we're going to see that Isaac was a child of promise and, yes, if you're familiar with what his name means, even a child of joy and laughter, as really pretty much all births are. So we're going to begin this morning primarily with beginning of uh, chapter 17 of Genesis. I'm going to begin with verses 1 to 5 there. Genesis 17, 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant's with you. You will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. If you will skip down with me to verse 15 of the same chapter. God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, but you shall call, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? Okay, Chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Two uh, messengers of God have arrived. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, There in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing, and Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I'm so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Chapter 21 of Genesis, just a couple pages over, chapter 21, verse 1. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Heavenly Father, as we approach our passage this morning, would you strengthen us? Would you teach us? Would the birth of Isaac fill us this morning with joy as we anticipate celebrating the birth of our Savior? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now these, by the way, are not the only passages to talk about god's promises and covenants to abram if we were to go back to to genesis chapter 12 this was the first time that god made an appearance to abram abram was in his home country of ur and he god god comes to abraham in chapter 12 of genesis and tells him to leave and to go a land that he's going to show him he tells abraham that he would make him a great nation he tells abram that he will bless you and make his name great he tells abram that he will be a blessing to the families of the earth. He tells Abraham that, he will, that God will bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. Now, in Genesis chapter 15, the first passage that we saw just a few moments ago, this takes place oh, probably somewhere around seven to ten years later. And God in chapter 15 shows up to Abram and kind of renews the covenant. Now you go, why did God have to do that? Well, if someone made you a promise and eight years later it hasn't happened, Would you begin to think about maybe this being a problem? Of course you would. We like to think of ourselves as being spiritual, not that we wouldn't do that, but of course we would. So it's been some time, so Genesis chapter 15, God shows up to to Abraham, probably between the ages of 80, 85 years old, and he renews the covenant. He tells Abraham details like, your your descendants will be uh, oppressed in slavery for 400 years. He gives them the borders of the land, the promised land that his people will inherit. Now, Abram's response, we didn't read this, but when God shows up in those first few verses of Genesis chapter 15 and talks to Abraham, Abraham says, yeah, I know you said this, but I don't have the kids yet. It's been a while. Consider my servant Eliezer. He will be my heir. He will be my descendant in my behalf because he is my servant. And God says, no. Your descendant will be one of your own blood. So that's Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 16, at the age of 86, 85-86, Abraham and Sarah decide that they are done waiting on God to fulfill His promise. And so they hatch this plot through which Abraham will go to Hagar, who is Sarah's servant. And legally at that point in time, since Hagar is Sarah's servant, Whatever children Hagar has belong to Sarah. So Abraham has a child by Hagar because they have decided at this point in time, 10 years later, that maybe this is the way God wants to do this. So they're going to handle things themselves in chapter 16. In chapter 17, which we just read, it's 13 years after Isaac is born, or I'm sorry, Ishmael has been born. It's Abraham is now 99 years old. Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn by Hagar, is now 13 years old. It's been 24 years since God first showed up to Abraham when when Abraham was 75. And this is the conversation we saw there in chapter 17. God says, Abraham, I'm going to uh, fulfill my promise to you. We're going to renew the covenant. You're going to have a son a year from now named Isaac. And you may not have realized that Sarah was the only one Sarah wasn't the only one who laughed. It says Abraham there in chapter 17. I want you to look at this here. There in chapter 17. It says Abraham fell on his face laughing. Now, I don't know exactly the Hebrew idiom there, but I'm thinking that's not a slight chuckle. If you fall on your face laughing, that is a big time laugh. Right? Now, is it a celebration happy laugh? Not exactly. Abraham, his laugh is because he doesn't believe God. Verse 17 of chapter 17 says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man hundred years old? Abraham laughed out of the ridiculous silliness of the promise. He thought to himself, there's no way that's going to happen. And he laughs out loud, much like Sarah laughed herself in chapter 18. So chapter 17, Isaac's birth is foretold. In chapter 18, probably not more than a few weeks later, these messages of God show up and tell Abraham again. A year from now, we're going to show back up and Sarah will have a child. This time, Sarah laughs. And then, of course, at chapter 21, Isaac is born for Abraham at the age of 100. So, what we have in the birth of Isaac is a promise made and at first a promise delayed. God made the promise to Abraham at the age of 75, and uh, it appears to have been 25 years before Isaac would actually be born. Now, when God shows up to Hannah last week, when the birth of Samuel, when God shows up to Samson's mother, those births seem to happen right off the bat. God showed up, made the promise. Boom, there you go. Within a year, you have a baby being born. But with Abraham, it's been, it will be 24 to 25 years. And let's face it, that's a while. If any one of us had had someone make a promise to them, and it's been 24, 25 years, let's be honest, we're kind of thinking the promise isn't going to be kept, aren't we? That's just realistic. Abraham and Sarah Sarah have had 25 years. And in fact, they have actually taken matters into their own hands. They've already uh, made arrangements and Ishmael has been born. I want you to see there in chapter 21, verse 1. It says, The Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time. Before that, God had told Abraham that at the right time this would happen. God made the promise to Abraham. God said at the right time it's going to happen. And at the right time it did happen. It just seemed like the right time was a long ways down the road. You know, there are times that we struggle with. There are times that when God does things, it's not exactly on our time frame. There are times that God does things in our life and us, our job seems to be for the moment to wait. And if you're like me, There are things that you do better and enjoy more than waiting. How many of y'all just look forward to the opportunity to wait? I mean, uh, (laughs) you go to Walmart at peak shopping hours because it thrills your heart to wait. Volunteers? No? How many of you guys know that, okay, I need to renew my license and so I'm going to wait till the 30th or 31st of the month and go down to the to the driver's license office and do it then so that I can sit there for an hour and a half to two hours and wait because that's so much fun. Anybody? No? We don't like to wait? Imagine that. But yet God has at the right time done what he knows is right. And by the way, This is not the only time that happens. God does this throughout all of Scripture. I would take your attention. You don't have to turn there right now if you don't want to, but Romans chapter five. um, This is something that God talks about. In Romans chapter five, verse six, Paul, the, the apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says this while we were still helpless, speaking about you and I, at the right time, at the appointed time, Christ died. For the ungodly. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, When the fullness of time came, in other words, another, when it was just right, that the God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, because you are sons. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. At the right time, Christ's birth like Isaac's, was timed perfectly. Now, Abraham and Sarah might have had some questions about that timing. I'm pretty sure the people of Israel had some questions about the delay, as they perhaps saw it, of the coming of Messiah. But the Scriptures tell us more than once that these things happen at the right time. And by the way, it's not just Jesus' birth. It's not just Isaac's birth that happened at the exact right time. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 says this, Talk about us waiting. It says, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will bring about at the proper time. You and I are looking back on the birth of Christ, knowing that God did it at the exact right time time but you and I are also this morning looking forward to the return of Christ and sometimes we think to ourselves as we look at the world around us or even examine our own circumstances and go Lord could it happen today there's a reason why people have been hoping and looking forward to the return of Christ the last couple of weeks on Wednesday nights we have been in revelation 21 and 22 and those chapters are just glorious so much of Revelation we have had to do with things like martyrdom and the Antichrist and rampant evil and demonic stuff. And then we get to chapter 21 and chapter 22, and it's beautiful. It's glorious. It's hopeful. It's God reminding us that at the right time, all the waiting will be worth it. At just the right time in chapter 21 of Genesis, at the appointed time, at the right moment, God visits Sarah, opens her womb, and enables this woman who's well, well past childbearing age to have a son named Isaac. It's one thing to believe a promise that's made. It's another thing to maintain that belief when the promise is delayed. God made promises to Adam and Eve. He made promises to Abraham. He made promises to David. Hebrews chapter eleven, what so many of us call the faith chapter, speaks to how all these individuals and countless others heard the promises of God, and even though they never saw them ultimately fulfilled in the way they might have wanted to. I have a hunt I don't know for sure I'm not in the mind of Adam and Eve, but I'm wondering when they heard the promise that their seed, that the seed of the woman, in other words, their son or someone from them would defeat the, the enemy, that would defeat the, the, the serpent. you got to have a hunch that they thought that might have been Cain, maybe Abel. They had no idea that the answer to their prayers would be countless generations. And yet God kept His promise at the right time. God makes us promises. And sometimes our struggle, if we're being honest, is not, to, it's not that we don't believe the promises, that maintaining that faith over time when the promises seem to be delayed can be difficult. I'm not going to argue with it. it. It is. Let's be honest. And yet, we know at the right time that God keeps His promise. One other thing I would talk about with Isaac this morning, he is not just a... He, he is a child of promise. There in chapter 15, verse 2, we saw that... Uh, that uh, God comes to Abraham to, to renew the covenant in 15, verse 2, and Abraham says, I am childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of, of Damascus. Abraham essentially pointed God, well, this, God, if you wanted to keep your promise this way, let's do it this way. But God said, no, we're going, we're going to do it this way. I'm going to enable Sarah to have children. Verse 6 of chapter 15, Abraham's response to God's promise there is this. He believed in the Lord, and he, that is God, reckoned it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. Wow, that's fantastic. It's, it's been about eight years, nine years, whatever it might have been. God renews the covenant with Abraham. Abraham put forth Eliezer. God says, No, it's going to come from you. Abraham goes, That's fantastic. I believe. And God counts it as righteousness towards Abraham. That's incredible. Based upon Abraham believing and trusting and taking God in his word, God considers him to be righteous. God gave him something that wasn't already his. Abraham wasn't righteous of himself, his but God declared him righteous because of Abraham's faith. Now, that being said, chapter 16 comes next. Abraham has had righteousness imputed or credited to his account by God because of his faith. But the very next chapter, Abraham and Sarah don't have any more faith and they take things and do their own plan. You know, Abraham is this great iconic father figure of a, of a, of a patriarch, of a, of a hero of Scripture, and yet one chapter he believes, and the next chapter, he's struggling. And he and Sarah manufacture this plan to come up with a, with a child through Hagar. And, of course, then Ishmael is born. In chapter 17, God comes and says, okay, we're going to do this now. It's been 24 years. And God, in Abraham, in chapter 17, verse 18, we didn't read this, God tells him, you're going to have a son named Isaac. And in verse 18 of chapter 17, Abraham says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham loves Ishmael. Ishmael is 13 years old, and God comes to him and says, you're going to have another son named Isaac. And, and Abraham goes, listen, I have a son, Ishmael. This is a done deal, God. You don't need to worry about it anymore. I love him. Let's just do it this way. I wonder how many times God has made promises to us. God has wants to work through us. God wants to do this or he wants to do that. And our response is, but God, you don't understand. I've arranged this. I've already got some plans. And Lord, this is, this is really good. Ishmael's a good guy. He's my son, Abraham says. Let's just do it this way. Because after God, God I've got it handled. I know you made the promise, but God, I have delivered on that. Now, that sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? There's an application by this. There's, we're going to get there here in just a few moments. Sometimes, by the way, it's not just the end results. It is how we get there that matters. Abraham Abraham had figured out a way to have a son, to have descendants. But the way he had done it was not fulfilling the promise of the covenant of God. I want to take a moment here. I mentioned Galatians 4 for a few moments. I want to to take you to Galatians chapter 4. In fact, I would encourage you to take a few moments. Keep your finger there in Genesis 21. But in the meantime, go to Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians 4, Paul gives us an understanding of why God rejected Ishmael and set up Isaac to be the son or the the, uh, the way in which the, the promise would be fulfilled. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, Paul is speaking to the church in Galatia about a tendency that some of them are having to revert from faith in Christ and to return to a, a religion based upon the Old Testament covenant, the sacrifices, the rituals, the dietary laws, all those things. So Paul's having this conversation with the Galatian church about Faith in Christ being enough. And he says this in verse 21 of Galatians 4, "...tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? It's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise." This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves, she's Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem above is free, she's our mother. It's written, "Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the de- of the desolate than of the one" Who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it's now also. Here's what Paul is saying God made a promise to Abraham and to Sarah. And when Abraham and Sarah took the means of trying to fulfill God's promise, fulfill God's covenant on their own terms, by their own actions, by their own cleverness, by their own in, initiative. While they may have had a son, it wasn't the son that God had promised. And so he compares living under the law, living with this idea that I have to earn my place before God, that I have to earn my righteousness, that I... the. the He says that if you are living with this idea that I have to be good enough, that God will favor me if I just keep all the rules, and if I keep all the rules, do all the things that God set up to do, whether it's the Old Testament sacrifices and dietary laws, or whether it's today, keeping the Ten Commandments, whatever you want to call it. If I just do that good enough, I'll be right with God. I'll be better than the person next to me. I'll have the ability to look at others and go, I'm not them and they're not me. I've got this and they don't. If that's what you're doing, he says, you are like the woman Hagar, you are a slave. Why would you want to go back to that? He says, Isaac is the child of promise because the child of promise wasn't born from the initiative of mankind. He wasn't born because of man's plotting and cleverness and abilities and all the strength. He was born purely out of God's grace and promise. No other explanation for it is available. And here's here's where we often get tripped up as believers this morning. We want to live a life by which you and I get credit for being good people. We want the world to look at us. We want other Christians to look at us and go, yeah, they got it together. They show up every week. They tithe. They're nice people. We can trust them. They have a good reputation. We want that guy to be a deacon. We want her to be teaching. We like them. They're good folks. And we think in our mind that that happens, that somehow we have achieved something. And God is sitting here going, no. God's telling us, don't you dare take credit For the salvation I'm providing. You and I are here this morning if we are right with God, if we are truly followers of Christ. We are here this morning not of our own initiative, not because we're clever, not because we're better, not because we're more moral, but because we have received, like Abraham and Sarah did, a promise that God has fulfilled that we cannot. It's not just that there's a child, it's that God provided it His way through His power and through His mercy. And we have to, whether, we, it's, whether it's our own personal lives, our own moral choices, our own whatever, our own lives of obedience, we have to, or whether it's as a church, we want people to look at us and go, look at that great church over there. Look at all they're doing. Look at how they're growing. It's not that we want to do these things because we're better, we're clever, or we've figured it out like Abraham and Sarah did. We want to grow. We want to do these things because God did something only He could do. Our lives are lived so that God receives credit. When Ishmael's born, Ishmael is a good kid. I'm sure Abraham loved him. There's nothing wrong with Ishmael. Abraham loved him. He's a beloved son. But he's not the promised one. He's the result of human effort. And the reality is when we... The one on the keyboard right there. When we, uh, there you go, got that? See what happens when you do it yourself. (laughs) Where was I? Yes. We want to be part of a life, of a church, that when people look at it, they don't see us. They see the work of God. If we have a salvation, if we have a life that we can look at and go, yeah, I've achieved all the things, and I'm just, we, we, won't, we probably won't come out so much and say it quite that way that I'm just better. We won't, we won't necessarily say that, but let's be honest, we sometimes think it. Well, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, I deserve to have this. God says, we're going to do it through the promise in a way that only God can receive credit for. So Isaac's a child of promise. It may have been a delayed promise in the eyes of Abraham and Sarah, but it was a promise nonetheless, and a promise equipped. And Paul there in Galatians equates salvation by grace through faith with the work of God in Isaac's birth. So will we trust our own efforts, or will we trust the miraculous work of of God. Abraham actually missed the idea. He was so focused on the result, a child, a descendant, that he didn't realize that the process mattered as much if not even more than that. The ends and the means actually both matter. <laughs> they really do. Well, one thing we've seen here already is that this promise in chapter 18, God shows, God shows up and says, okay, a year from now, I'm going to show back up and Sarah will be, uh, Isaac will be here. Abraham laughed in chapter 17. Sarah laughs there in chapter 18. And there in chapter 18, um, Sarah laughs. And the response is, verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I'm so old? And then verse 14, he says this, is anything too difficult? Or you may have the word wonderful. Is anything too wonderful? Is anything too difficult? For the Lord in other words is anything beyond God's ability to do by the way this isn't the only time this question gets asked if you were to go to Jeremiah chapter 32 the context there is God's going to bring the Babylonians to judge Israel and then God's going to rescue them rescue Israel from Babylon and reset them up and in the midst of that conversation God says is anything too wonderful too difficult for God to do Of course, the answer, the implied answer is is no. By the way, the New Testament, this happens again. Jesus has a conversation in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 19 with someone that we sometimes call the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've done all these other things. What must I add on to it? And, of course, Christ talks to him, gives him some instructions. The guy walks away disappointed. And everyone around him is confused, including the disciples. Because this rich young ruler was exactly that. He was rich, he was moral, he had everything in his life that made him look like the ideal Jewish believer. If this guy wasn't right with God, nobody was in their eyes because of all that he had. And so uh, the, Jesus follows up that conversation. He turns to the disciples and he says there in Matthew 19, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Now, again, in their theology, rich meant God loves you. (laughs) So they saw rich people as the ones who were, quote, saved. And Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, man, the rich people, it's it's, it's almost impossible for them to be saved. And the disciples respond to that by saying, well, then it must be, or then who can be saved? It must be impossible. Because if that guy couldn't be right with God, then no one could in their eyes. So all of a sudden, they now looked at being right with God as something that was unattainable. To which Jesus replies this. He says this, with man, it is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. We tend to take that verse and try to make it mean something else. In the context, what that verse is saying is this. You can't save yourself. You can't keep enough rules. You can't accumulate enough wealth. You can't be moral enough. You cannot be saved on your own. But what's impossible with man is what? Possible with God. Abram, what's impossible with man? It's possible with God. This is the question that Abraham has to deal with there in chapter 18 and chapter 21. Finally, as we wrap this up this morning, chapter 17, verse 17, Abraham laughs at God's promise. Chapter 18, Sarah laughs at the promise. And God says, okay, you laugh. I want you to name your son Isaac, which means... He laughs. It's kind of funny, isn't it? By the way, God has a sense of humor. There, there's, there's really, there's, there's, you know, there's signs of this all throughout Scripture. And, you know, sometimes there's modern signs as well. <laughs> I'll let you pick those out. But in 21, uh, 21.6, when, when um, Isaac has been born... 21.6, Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Verse 12 of that same chapter, God says to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the Lord, and because the lad and your maid, whatever Sarah tells you to listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants will be named. You know, I was thinking about this this week with that name laughter, and I began to ask myself this question. I wonder if God gave Isaac that name so that every time they called his name out, Isaac! I nailed that tone of voice. Y'all heard heard that, didn't you? Y'all know that tone of voice. If every time they said his voice, they were reminded of their lack of faith. I thought about that for a little bit, and I thought, well, that, that's, that's probably inevitable to a certain degree. But what I really think happened was that God redeemed that. In fact, I think that's what Sarah is saying there in verse 6 of chapter 21. So that when they said his name, it wasn't their lack of faith that came to mind. It was God's provision that came to mind. God did something so ridiculously over-the-top impossible that you can't help but just sit back and laugh. And what at one point might have been a reminder of lack of faith becomes every time the name Isaac is said, Isaac, it's now a name of grace and a reminder that God does things too wonderful and impossible for human beings. It's redeemed laughter. What does that mean to be redeemed in that sense? What once was a sign of unbelief now reminds of God's faithfulness. What once was a cause of bitterness, her inability, the inability to have kids now becomes a cause for joy. This is what God does for those who love and trust him who come to him under the the idea of faith and grace he does this sometimes we hold on to guilt sometimes we have secrets we don't want anybody else to know we have anger we have a lack of faith and we're cause we're convinced that god will not accept us that we're somehow not good enough or whatever it might be and we we hold on to that and we're afraid to let god have those things and turn what causes us pain into joy into laughter God can take even our lack of faith and turn it into a reminder of his faithfulness. I, I stand this morning behind this, this cross-shaped pulpit. And for you and I this morning, this pulpit is in the shape of an instrument that we think of salvation. It, it, it reminds us of salvation and what Christ did for us. But if you are in the first century, if you are one of the disciples, if you are Paul or any of the others that Jesus spoke to and ministered to, when you saw this thing, you only thought death. You thought humiliation. You thought shame, you thought blood, you 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 saw oppression, you saw injustice, you saw Rome. There was nothing about this shape that anybody in the first century would have thought was good. None of it. The closest equivalent today would be imagine you and I taking a hypodermic needle, used a lethal injection into prison plating in gold and wearing it around our neck as a necklace. Well, we all look at each other like we're nuts. That's a, that's a symbol of death and the punishment and all those things. And yet, this was every bit, if not even more so, that. It was a gross, gory, oppressive shape. And yet, what did God do with this shape? He redeemed it. And so what now was once a symbol of death and oppression is now the symbol of our freedom. That's redemption. And this is is simple compared to what God actually does for us. This morning, here here is what it means to be a child of promise. Here is what Isaac's birth, how it leads us to Christ. For you and I this morning, like it says there in Galatians 4, we have the choice today. To be a child of slavery, to rely upon our own efforts, to rely upon our own strength, our own cleverness, our own morality, our own whatever. Or we can rely upon the promise, upon the child that was born at just the right time, who will return at just the the right time to accomplish every promise of God. That's our choice this morning.